Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle from Emory University. Doug, I just watched, we're, we're taping this minutes after the U.S. advances to go to the next round of the, to get the knockout round of the FIFA Cup. You've been dealing with technical issues, so you did not get to watch this game. In, in some ways, Doug, it's the most glorious thing ever. I mean, it is so tribal. They're showing the crowd, these folks in, you know, wearing red, white, and blue draped in the flag on one side, screaming for the American team on the other side, you know, the, the, the Iranian men and women, again, draped in the flag and the traditional colors, just screaming with as much anger, sorry, more anger than a spike squad UGA member during an Auburn wow. game. Glorious. Glorious. Yeah. that. That sounds uh, sounds about right for FIFA time. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the hatred between Georgia and Auburn because I feel like that's been reignited this week with uh, Hugh Freeze hired down on the plains. Uh, a little, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about sports washing, and I've never seen sports washing like the Hugh Freeze story of second chances. Same with Bruce Pearl and Auburn. The the Auburn hates back in the state of Georgia, I think. Well, well, let's get there, but let's, let's stay on soccer just for a second. Cause I, yeah, of course, really kind of interesting numbers. The U S versus England soccer game last week on Friday, I believe drew 15.4 million viewers. That's a big number. I mean, that that's more than a, that. That's beyond world series kind of stuff. And this is, this is happening on a Friday afternoon in contrast to so the number I want to get right. My internet search says that the last time the U.S. women won the FIFA World Cup in 2019, 14.3 million viewers. I don't know, Doug. So what's the potential audience if the U.S. men were to win a FIFA World Cup? Is that a 60 million person audience? A 50 million person audience on a Monday afternoon? Right. <laughs> As the, the universal sports event is back, the new Super Bowl. What's the Super Bowl numbers, just for reference? I mean, the Super Bowl is so out there, right? The Super Bowl does 100, 100 yeah. million folks. So, but, you know, Doug, you're, I mean, you're, you're a Generation Z guy, Doug, and, and we always have these debates is, you know, where is sports going to go? Maybe, maybe the future is soccer, you know, that we're, we're going to see this. And again, I, I don't even, I don't even know how you look. I think we always got to be careful when they're wearing the, when we're wearing the USA, right? Because then, because then you have the tribal affiliation kicking right in, which you don't get when they're wearing the, you know, LA galaxy or, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that stuff has to be built up over decades, but you put USA on. And I mean, this has frankly always been the problem with the woman's game and the woman's team is that the brand is, and yeah, this is a little bit of a hot take, that the brand is really embedded, not so much in that that group of ladies, but it's embedded in the wearing the USA national jersey in right. essentially the biggest sport, in biggest tournament in the world. But man, maybe the future is soccer. I, you know, I think the future is pickleball. That's my personal take. <laughs> <laughs> but soccer's... I think bad knees for a 26 year old. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, <laughs> soccer is certainly yeah. 
I don't know. It's always felt like if the U.S. men's team ever had any level of success, there would be that level of excitement, and they just haven't had that. We've talked about that, you know, how championships are a big part of what builds fandom. And, of course, long way off from winning a, a FIFA Cup, you know, beating Iran and Wales and tying England is probably the most success the U.S. has had. Tied Wales. Time. Tied England. Tied Wales Be- and England. Beating yeah. Iran zero. Yeah. And... and- I- and I, I'm proudly going to proclaim my ignorance. They review calls. They had a video review, I think, near the very end where Iran wanted a penalty for a penalty kick. Um, you know, it's it, – look, I, I'm going to – okay, totally betraying my – something shocking to me about soccer. And I don't know how much of this you've watched. You know, they've got something called overage time, right? So they've got a clock. Mm-hmm. Right don't reveal how much time is actually left in the game and then when the game ends then suddenly there's this mysterious number of five minutes seven minutes nine minutes but only the referee knows exactly how much time is left do we know why that is do we know why that uh why that's the case that's always been a head scratcher for me uh yeah soccer i guess for me it still doesn't do it for me and i think uh, i speak for some subset of American SEC men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it was just last, like on Thanksgiving, uh, before I got sick. By the way, I'm if I sound under the weather or look under the weather, it's because I've been quite under the weather. <laughs> I was so under weather, under the weather, Mike. I had a free ticket to the Georgia football game on Saturday, and I did not go. That's when you know you're down bad. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, that's I get- when you know you're down bad. So, uh all that to say, yeah, USA is playing England. And one of my cousins, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever, I guess it was Black Friday, comes up and is like, this could be a huge tie for us. This could be a big tie. Yeah, uh, Like, like, a, like I would normally say, like, this could be a big win. And I, I just, just like, there's something wrong about that to me, Mike. Um, I was more interested in the Egg Bowl. I mean, of course, anyone who listens to the show knows that that's kind of my default is to fall back in college football. But I really feel like I have to make an effort with uh, with soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. How, how do you, what do you think about that ad, though, Mike? The uh, the ad about whether it's called football or soccer and kind of portraying fans and their positions on that. There's been quite a bit of sports fandom advertisements this year it seems with Modelo and there was some other one you were pretty critical of earlier well it was uh tied basically saying fans are kind of jackasses that <laughs> don't really afford it. yeah and then it was Modelo who who's been doing this tribute to the fans and I, I, multiple ads talking about I think the latest one right is they're talking about how being a fan is a lifetime commitment and in some ways it's mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing from my perspective. Um, yeah, the the uh, what is it? Beckham and yeah. Peyton Manning. Yep, it uh, looks like a Super Bowl ad. It's pretty star studded. Okay, my take on it, and again, not going to be a popular take. I think we're supposed to say, "Oh, it's beautifully done." All sorts of celebrities. Looks like a Super Bowl ad. What a waste of Peyton Manning. You know, it's like you got you got maybe the best commercial spokesman out there, and then that ad just keeps going on and on. It, it, it didn't work for me. You liked it, I, you know. It at least got my attention. I thought I just from a strategic standpoint, I found it interesting that 
clearly it had a, a kind of budget uh, as far as production quality of a Super Bowl What's advertisement. Say what? What's the product being advertised? Okay, and again, t- tongue in cheek in a way, right? But I mean, Doug's now search googling it, so <laughs> I am. Frito Lay, Frito Lay. Okay, so in some ways, a disastrous ad, right? Because that, that's always kind of the takeaway from some of these things of, well, what's actually the product being advertised? And it's like, no, it's just sort of an amateur movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's uh, what it comes down to. I just, I what I was saying was like. It's always been interesting to me, like college football playoff doesn't get little baby Super Bowl ads or the NBA finals. It's like everyone goes all out for the Super Bowl and those other smaller events, but still sizable events um, don't get a lot of love from advertisers. And so it's interesting to see such a you know clearly uh, a priority put on the, the FIFA World Cup from Frito-Lay, um, even though I didn't know it was them and taking that approach. So anyway. Uh, I, I, it, I, I found it at least entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it, it's entertaining. And I, I agree with you 100%. It looks like a Super Bowl ad. Even the mm-hmm. way like the storyline evolves, where it, it starts somewhere and then starts to evolve and they're bringing in some additional, they're bringing in some additional people. But uh, like, like I said, it's a, I, I don't know, soccer, calling it a fight over where they're, they're calling it soccer versus calling it football. It strikes me like a 1992 plot premise, but you know. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, who, who's the U.S. got next, Mike? Oh, I don't think we know. I think we now okay. we're moving on to the the knockout round or the single elimination round, which you know, uh, in some ways, Doug, I want I do want to get your take on some aspects of the sport itself because I, I do think there's something. You know, if you break sports down to their attributes, uh, you know, there might be some value into understanding, you know, what in fact is happening, right? So baseball is often criticized because it's too slow paced. It's, and that translates to boring because, you know, you're waiting three minutes for the pitcher to throw the ball, but attention spans are now 30 seconds. So everyone eventually kind of drifts off and starts looking at their phone and then suddenly some action happens, right? Right. Soccer has this kind of continuous flow, which as a non-soccer guy, I'm watching, I watch the better part of all three games. I actually kind of find it hypnotic. It's like time just passes and I suddenly I've watched half a game of soccer. Uh, But the thing I want to ask you about is, the penalty kick structure that they use in soccer. What do you think of that where you play this game and then suddenly it's defined by this one-on-one matchup of, you know, players versus goalie. Yeah. It seems like more often than not, that is what the game comes down to. Well, regardless of you could play 89 minutes of soccer uh, if that's what we're going to call it. We, can we just agree to call it soccer just for the sake of this podcast? We don't have to call it both every time. Doug, we're located, we're located in Atlanta, Georgia, U.S. <laughs> it's, it's soccer. All right. Um, apologies to our Brazilian listeners, but we're going to go with soccer. Uh, yeah, so it seems like 90% of the t- 99% of the time, that's what the game comes down to. And, uh, you know, I, I, always, I actually made a comment during that uh, – England game about corner kicks and how 
it seems like a big deal every time and everyone gets all excited. Like this could be the goal. And I don't, I mean, I don't watch a lot of soccer, Mike, but I don't know if I've ever seen a corner kick that actually was converted into a a goal. Um, Again, that probably shows how little soccer I watch, but like I said, it seems like nine times out of 10, if someone scores, it's going to be on a PK. And uh, I don't know, strategically, maybe just don't, don't commit any penalties and, and uh, you probably gave yourself your push. <laughs> my dad, hey, for anyone listening, my dad played soccer at Emory. Believe it or not, uh, Emory, I think he was the captain. So could have been one of your students, Mike, um, if you taught medical <laughs> school but uh, or pre-med. But uh, It's a very kind of casual way of suggesting that I'm much older than I am, Doug. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant, but um, all that to say, I, I have soccer in the family for whatever reason. I, as a rebellious child, decided that it, it wasn't for me, and so if I sound ignorant about it, it's because I am. Um, and I apologize for that. Yeah, but I, I, look, that's okay. I mean, because, like I said, on, on some level, this is sort of an abstract conversation. So, we, if we think about soccer as a sport, continuous flow. Kind yeah. of with, you know, punctuated with some set pieces, things like the penalty penalty kicks or that penalty kick structure to uh, to to end to break ties to essentially for overtime. If you think about the way America is changing demographically, where a lot of folks are coming from countries where soccer is the number one sport, um, maybe the growth the growth in youth soccer relative to the decline in youth baseball in some segments there's probably a lot of reason to think that soccer has some very nice prospects going forward mm-hmm. um and beyond that you know oddly culturally in your age group you know i've got to say and this is maybe more of a local story but it does feel like in your age group of let's say the 20 sort of the uh, young millennials and the young Gen Zs, that soccer <coughs> also had kind of a, a generational moment with kind of some of the hipsters getting into it. it. Almost like it was a rebellion. And you tell me if I'm getting this right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Almost like a rebellion of some folks against traditional American sports of, I'm going to be a soccer guy. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we see that in Atlanta, right? With the Atlanta United and how, it's like the trendy thing, like, and even for, with like University of Georgia grads. Um, so people who, who grew up going to SEC games, went to SEC games in college. I know so many people in Atlanta who will say, you know, yeah, all that was fun back then, but now I'm really a soccer guy. I'm really a United guy. I love going to the bins and watching some, some mm-hmm. soccer. And so it's, people take pride in you. It's kind of that, uh, outsider mentality or that it's the type of person who always wants to be unique or find something unique that um, they identify with and soccer's kind of become that niche in the u.s with the mls and so of course you know the u.s women's team has kind of been that for women in the united states and now like with the men's team uh, i heard a player referred to as captain america during the game just having it on in the other room while i was dealing with uh, all kinds of issues in here <laughs> trying to get my mobile set up. But, um, but, you know, I think that 
it is growing. And I think that I think that also another element of it is parents are more comfortable their kids playing soccer. Every, you know, all my cousins that I've seen over Thanksgiving, um, you'd ask them, you know, so what's you know, little Johnny going to play this year? They'd say, well, we're not sure if we're going to let him play football. We're just, you know, we, we're not sure about that. He's going to play soccer, though. He's going to play soccer. You know, start out playing t-ball, but, you know, starting to like soccer. So I think there's more kids that are kind of encouraged in that direction. And um, there's a growth from a consumer standpoint as far as watching it. And so you might see a kind of resurgence or rebirth of soccer in the U.S. Of course, it's it's been thriving pretty much everywhere else. I wonder if soccer is going to be the kind of the baseball killer. Right. And so that's mm. where baseball's really in danger is they're gonna lose those kids that, you know, traditionally grew up to be baseball fans, they're gonna lose them to be soccer fans. And and like you're saying, it's kind of this uh part of it could be sort of this look, I, I remember the sort of a marketing example rather than a sports example. You know, some classic American brands, Cadillac, for example, and Levi's ran into trouble because they started to be perceived as my grandparents' jeans or my grandparents' car. And, and, I, and I wonder, you know, going along with what you're saying, that this is kind of the, it, it, almost a little bit of a rebellion to be a soccer fan. It's, and it's fascinating, right? Especially here in Atlanta where you're rebelling by being with 50,000 people in the Benz, in, in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, right? When, you know, there's only 30,000 people watching a Braves game. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this too about um, soccer fans and kind of what separates them. I think there's this level of nuance, at least that they identify themselves with. And of course, I'm generalizing, but I'm speaking on behalf of, uh, you know, or from observations of the, the general cohort that I see in my life. They, they have this, uh, they view themselves as nuanced, where it's this type of people that they don't like Starbucks coffee, right? They like, they like the local spot, you know, and they, they're not going to get the, the basic cup or they're not going to get the they're not going to get a budweiser when they go to the bar they're going to get the local brew right uh if they're in georgia they're going to get creature comforts it's that crowd to me like there's an overlap there's this crowd that they view themselves as nuanced a little bit different not basic not in the mainstream and they take pride in that and soccer is kind of an extension of that identity for a lot of these people that's i think that's well said right that that's the the brand is a little bit different it's a little bit you know if we Use if you're establishing a social identity by what you're into, I think what you're saying is that for this younger generation, soccer is a more interesting or more attractive thing to connect yourself with than mm-hmm. it is uh, than baseball, perhaps. As you were telling that story, though, all I kept thinking was, you know, if you and I were on the road and we w- and you went to stop for coffee, I would start looking for McDonald's. So I don't even. <laughs> Starbucks is a little fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that i like that um yeah so and for advertisers kind of soccer might pre- present a unique opportunity right because if you have you know if that is a, a huge portion of the population that watches is people that are looking for something a little bit differentiated a little bit uh you know for more niche products like i mentioned creature comforts and that crowd like the brewery crowd definitely seems to like soccer and i think breweries are have been showing the u.s games and there's good reason for that like there's overlap in those and so i think that for in sports marketing it'll be interesting to see you know who takes advantage and who, who the big winners are if soccer does rise like you're talking about in the u.s now, 
and maybe the one break on all this, right? The thing that will always limit U.S. soccer is it, it's probably next to impossible for U.S. soccer teams to compete with the international brands that have been out there for so much longer, right? That it's hard to imagine the Atlanta United being a globally yeah. interesting brand at the same level as Manchester United. And right. so, you know, what is the potential for U.S. fans? And yeah, I mean, you could talk yourself into a scenario where U.S. soccer will grow to be at the same level as the elite, pre, you know, European leagues. But if we know anything about sports brands, it's really tough to get from one level to the next level. Yeah, and I think that's what's exciting right now with the U.S. because the one U.S. soccer brand that does have that longevity is USA. 1776, um, <laughs> been around. And I think there's that kind of built-in fan base that's just waiting as soon as there's any level of success that will, will come out of the woodworks. And I think we've already started to see that. Yeah. USA, 1980, Lake Placid Olympics, Miracle Olympics, <laughs> the same thing. Okay, Doug, so enough, enough soccer. Let's get into something that at least you're much more comfortable with. Doug, <laughs> is the... Is this and look, we got one more week. We got the conference championship, mm -hmm. but is this the least contentious entry point into the college football playoff? You know, the least debated of. I, I heard someone say that there's going to be a debate between who should be number one, Georgia or Michigan, and mm -hmm. I think I think they're just reaching for that. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and it looks like USC. Right now, yes. And I think if it stays that way, I think if those four teams went out, really, I don't think it matters if Michigan or Georgia win or lose this week. Um, TCU's probably in either way, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, and so I, th I think it really comes down to USC. If USC takes care of business in the Pac-12 championship, I think mm -hmm. it's the least debated Final Four college football playoff. Um, and if you loses then ohio state takes that spot right i mean it's well that's when it gets that's when it gets interesting because if you look and you know at the time we're talking the rankings haven't come out quite yet the college football playoff rankings but last week you had of course ohio state was in front of michigan um and usc and tcu and so you'd imagine they of course they dropped behind michigan then with one loss being behind the two undefeated at this point and then right there behind them, with everyone who's lost, was Alabama. And then Tennessee's right behind Alabama. Oddly enough, Tennessee has the same record as Alabama. They have a dominant win over a team that beat Alabama. And they have a head-to-head -head win over Alabama, ranked behind Alabama, though. Uh, so that's one where, if for whatever reason, if Ohio State were to drop behind those SEC teams due to... But Ohio State lose again right there no they can't lose again so i'm saying if the rankings come out tonight and this is tuesday and uh ohio state's like seven or what uh, let's see four or five six seven yeah so if they're seven or six that i think that's when it gets really i think that's when their controversy is because do you think the committee would ever open themselves up to the havoc it would create to put I hope a one not. state team low it not sec yeah, I hope not. I mean, for, I understand the argument, you know, like I honestly, I understand the argument more for Tennessee than Alabama. Alabama really hasn't their best wins are four lost team. Tennessee um, has had some really strong wins on the road against LSU at home against Alabama. 
you know, one of their losses was to an undefeated. Uh, the other loss was was really what killed them. But uh, but to a red hot South Carolina team at night on the road like that, it's having watched South Carolina over the years, those aren't tough games. And to look at Ohio State's schedule and to see that, like, it feels like the only good team they played, they lost to significantly. Um, and it feels like a slap in the face to a school or a team that feels like this was their year and it was a special season and they beat all these good teams. doesn't matter. So, you know, I understand the argument there. And it, that's where I see there being controversy is if one, if two SEC losses were equated with one Big Ten loss, that's where I see there being a lot of controversy because between Alabama and Tennessee, that's a huge discussion if it came down to those two. Um, and then, of course, Ohio State with one less loss, but a, a weaker schedule. I don't expect that. I know every Alabama fan I know has been talking the last two weeks, you know, we, we could sneak in there. You know, we might just stumble upon another championship like we did in 2017 when we didn't even win our division and won the national championship. Um, I don't expect it, though. And you know, like you said, if USC loses... Doug, can I ask you a question? I mean, if if Alabama went 7-4 and four, or 6-5, and five, isn't there a percentage of that Alabama fan base that would be talking about how they deserve to be in the playoff? <laughs> Nick Saban's been saying it, so they're, he's yeah. rounding them up. Um, he's rounding them up, but yeah, there, I mean, there, there always will be. And I will say like, as like being objective as a, uh, you know, as a fan of one of the teams that's going to be in, it's funny when they put like, they have a 98% chance of winning and there's literally not a scenario that, or a 98% chance of making the playoff. And there's not a scenario where Georgia or Michigan don't make it, um, just make it a hundred percent. But, um, you know, as a, a guy pulling for one of those teams, it's like you would your worst nightmare is having to play a hungry Alabama team or Ohio State. Um, those teams that are equal in talent, equal in recruiting, equal in resources to you and who haven't played their best football yet. That's always scary to me. And I know that like going back to 2017, uh, I experienced that with Alabama really probably playing their only good quarter of football year in the fourth quarter of the national championship. And, and winning a national championship that way. Um, and so, you know, it's it's funny when you look at it because you're like, well, you know, they might, they're one of the four, or as if you're pulling for the number one team, Alabama and Ohio State are both in the top three teams that you don't want to play. <laughs> That's how I view it. I'd rather play USC or TCU. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at like, what have these teams earned? I think absolutely TCU and USC uh, the, the body of work that they've put together to this point. What's going to be interesting, the, the interesting scenario to me is if USC loses and TCU loses, TCU's had a, a really weak streak of schedule, and could their one loss be counted as less than an Alabama or a Tennessee? That's where it becomes highly debatable, I think. And so I don't expect that, though, and I'm, I'm personally hoping everybody takes care of business this weekend so there's not all this hoopla <laughs> over the 14 playoff. Wait, you're hoping that they take care of business? I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping USC and, and TCU and Georgia and Michigan. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't even thinking about TS, TCU, but I think you've identified the potential issue. A yeah. TCU lost. One loss. Team, and they could be easily on the outside looking in. Um, I'll, I'll geek out for just a second, you know, because one of the things you mentioned here was they have percentage rate percentage predictions that they'll make that teams will make this 
I think we see these kind of percentage predictions all the time now. The percentage that the USA will beat Iran when there's six minutes left in the game and they're up one nothing. You see these constantly. I think it's interesting that no one ever talks about where these things are coming from. They're just thrown up there. Yeah. And and, and you bring up a good one, right? Because there is no, there's like, there, there's almost no conceivable way that Georgia doesn't make it to the college football playoff. But what they do on these things is they use, a, I, I sus, suspect they're using a tool called logistic regression where they're predicting the probability that something happens, this event of making the college football playoff based on the team's record and maybe the, some of the other team's records. <sighs> But what we don't know, but the key is we don't know what's in their models and we don't know what's not in their models. So, you know, the the 98% might come from the fact that, well, there was once this team called UCF, which didn't make the playoff despite being undefeated or or a one-loss team. And so in some ways, it's like this kind of fake or sort of... a of A lot of the analytics that are now put up there just as numbers become gospel when really they're probably not even worth thinking about because you're <laughs> making the playoffs. Yeah. And it's just like practically when you look at it, if you have a 97% chance of the playoffs, but you're going to be in whether you win or lose, like are they saying there's a 3% chance that, you know, the team bus catches on fire or something on the way to the game. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand where that 3% they're saying, and, they're saying Boise state didn't make it in, in, seven right. years right right and on yeah. the flip side of that you saw i i don't know the number exactly but usc last week on espn's analytics um if that's what we're going to call it had like a 12 or 13 percent chance of making the college football playoff and all they had to do they literally controlled their own destiny if they their situation was beat notre dame at home in a game that you're favored in mm-hmm. a lower ranked three or four loss Notre Dame team, and then win your conference championship in a game that you're favored in um, and you're in. And they, they had like a 13% chance, 13 or 14% chance of that happening. And I think Alabama had greater odds of making the playoff at the time, according to analytics, even though Alabama had to beat Auburn and then they don't control their own destiny. They don't have a game this week and they need several teams to lose in order to make it. I think they need... TCU to lose, USC to lose, and much favor in terms of being ranked in front of Ohio State, Tennessee, and TCU or USC to be in. To me, it seems like that there's something off with those numbers. If that team has higher odds than the, the position that USC's in, uh, with a potential Heisman winning quarterback and you know full control of their destiny. Yeah, I, like I said, you know it'll be. It's always there's there's always something for you know the college football analysts to talk about and and especially like I, I think that like the the college football radio guys to to talk yeah. about and, and like I said you know you're rooting for people to take care of business I'm now desperately rooting for and I hadn't even thought about this rooting for a TCU loss because I think that's the ugliest and most controversial outcome that we can have from next week. Yeah, and I, I can appreciate that. I'm normally pulling for chaos this time of year, uh, but with things steady for for when your team's doing well and things are just lined up 
pretty well, nicely. It's hard to pull for chaos. <laughs> your your team needs to uh, a loss by your team means they don't get a essentially a home game to start the playoff, right? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation there because I think that most Georgia and Michigan fans, if you were to poll them, would say they would rather play TCU in the first round than USC. They feel like USC is the more dangerous team because of their head coach, because of their quarterback, because of the talent. Uh, They have a receiver, a running back, and on defense. And so it's kind of a toss-up where it's like for for Georgia – if they win this game, they get to choose where. So the number one seed gets to choose where they play in terms of which uh, bowl game, which college football playoff location between Arizona and Atlanta. And of course, they would choose Atlanta and have that home field dominance and, and get their third game of the season in Atlanta, um, just an hour or so away from campus. And but on the flip side, it's like, well, if they were to become the two seed, you know, if Michigan were to jump. Georgia like on the bright side for Georgia fans you might have an easier matchup in round one so it's interesting to me that the one seed doesn't get to choose who the four seed is I think that would be a good system personally um but it's I don't I personally feel like if Georgia loses to LSU which is possible um that you know it's kind of like well maybe we dodge a bullet like maybe maybe USC's catching lightning in the bottle right now. They've played some good football the last couple of weeks. And I mean, of course everyone, the one team too, that everyone's disrespecting now is, is TCU. I think that Georgia fans are completely overlooking them. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Michigan fans. It's kind of like they're viewed like Cincinnati last year. Uh, we've had those teams where it's just kind of, it's expected that they're going to be blown out purely based on, the perception of their conference and of their school relative to the blue bloods. And so TCU's that school. I know that they're probably hungry for an opportunity to to prove everyone wrong. Now, do you like the, the potential fun of Georgia losing in the, <laughs> it's so con- fun. Or, well, okay. Or <laughs> I've seen speculation where Michigan might be ranked number one because they have the best victory. Right. In- beating uh maybe a suspect ohio state you know i mean that's it, it becomes almost a circular argument so let's say michigan right. say they both win so in some ways georgia gets robbed of their spot even though they continue to win and then jim harbaugh chooses to take the game in atlanta mm-hmm. to make georgia's road a little rougher yeah. after last year's drubbing you know georgia's defeat of michigan that could, you know, that could make for a fun national championship game, sort of a little bit mm-hmm. of kind of crap being thrown on both sides. Yeah. And I think that's what I think everyone's predicting a, a Georgia, Michigan national championship at this point. I don't, I don't see a lot of predictions for USC versus TCU. Um, you know, I could, having watched Georgia quite a bit and having watched Michigan over the course of the season and, and kept up not really watching TCU, but keeping up with the scores and keeping up uh, with them in USC and, and how tightly their games have been contested. I will say that there have been several weeks this season where Georgia or Michigan has played at a level where they would lose to anybody. They would lose to South, the way South Carolina has played these last two weeks. Georgia would have lost to them. Uh, <laughs> you know, having played how they played against Missouri. And I think Michigan had those games uh, more so early in the season for them when uh, McNamara was playing quarterback. Bottom line is there's a level of unpredictability that the 14 playoff brings that BCS maybe didn't have. Or if nothing else, teams like USC and TCU feel like they have their fair shot 
at a championship. Um, and, you know, we may end up with that Georgia-Michigan matchup everyone's predicting. I personally think Michigan looks a lot more dangerous this year in the passing game. Um, and their run game certainly has evolved. And I think Georgia's as dominant as they were last year against the run. They're, they've lost a lot of talent. Everyone That's been well documented. But even throughout the season, they lost a crucial piece of their defense who was a big part in stopping the run. And so last year with the Michigan matchup, there was kind of this confidence that, you know, they're a running team and Georgia is going to st- stop the run and make them one-dimensional and then just suffocate them. I think this year Michigan fans have a lot of reason to be uh, optimistic about, you know, how a rematch fares given the circumstances. And I know that Jim Harbaugh is probably still licking his wounds from that one and hungry to, to get some revenge. And so I think that would make for a great college football national championship story and uh, would love to see it. Yeah, I'm going to struggle to, I'm going to struggle to get enthusiastic about Michigan for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is they needed a lot of help to beat an Illinois team, a lot of referee help to beat an Illinois team. You know, it's, do they see Jekyll and Hyde to you? The, the Michigan team, because the Michigan, because Michigan and Ohio State both, to me, at different points in the year, looked like the best team in the country. And there's also points in the year where they don't even look like a ranked football team. Yeah, um, well, I'm I'm just more making the point that you know a couple. I mean, there are three or four questionable calls in that game, and if one of those goes the opposite way, then suddenly Michigan is a, a one loss team. And there's no debate about Georgia remaining number one, right? And, and so it's it, it does seem, you know, a little bit of uh and again, look, I'm an Illinois guy, and so I'll just be fanboy for a second. You know, this this emphasis on protecting the brands to yeah. set up this undefeated matchup of two versus three, and then the way you got there is suddenly is suddenly kind of is suddenly forgotten. Um yeah. I, I, I and look, I'm I'm a fan, so I'm petty enough that I hope that Michigan faces Georgia again, and they have a similar outcome as last year. Would you okay. rather see that, or would you rather see TCU slash USC knock them out early? Do you want to see it really hurt? Because what would really hurt is getting your hopes up, thinking this year's the year, and then you know I think if you're really petty, that's probably the angle. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the the other side of me definitely is fascinated by, uh, you know, the, the the marketing angle to this. And so, if we see uh, Georgia versus USC in the first round and Michigan versus TCU, man, I want to see those TV ratings, mm. right? And you know, and I do wonder, like the uh, the difference between a Georgia TCU matchup in a uh, in a national championship game versus a Georgia Michigan matchup. You know, you might be cutting the audience in half. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, so this is, uh, but but like you said, you know, the the beautiful thing about all this stuff is every year we have some kind of dramatic outcomes that that make for a lot of interesting discussion. Um, okay, Doug. So we're gonna cut this one a little bit short. NFL thoughts. I mean, I'll I'll give you my big NFL thought. This is, this is a. The my you know look I I will always drive these things back to quarterbacks so Deshaun Watson getting the ball you know for in week eleven or week twelve I forget where we're at 
will this will will he be as dramatic of a difference as I predicted he would be at the at the beginning of the year, or is it frankly kind of too late? A guy getting in there, there's too much rust, and they're going to limp to the finish. That's that's one story, and I'll let you comment on whichever of these you want. Number two, have the Jets given up on Zach Wilson? Have they given mm-hmm. up on number two or number three pick in the draft? I think it was number two pick, wasn't he? Just a season and a half in, um, have they decided to move on yet again? And the third one I'm looking at is, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. You know, has time caught up to these guys? Uh, you know, both teams struggling. Statistically, Brady still has some nice results in terms of yards thrown, touchdowns to interception ratio. Um, Aaron Rodgers... You know, he, 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 look, Aaron Rodgers still does some magical things, but who's the, who's the backup love? What's his, what's it? Jordan love. Jordan love. Yep. Do the Packers further alienate Rodgers and get a look at Jordan love if they're not playoff bound. Wow. I, I thought with Aaron Rodgers, you were going to go a different route, Mike. This week, a story broke that a uh, former, NFL quarterback Deshaun Kaiser was um, was questioned by Aaron Rodgers on his beliefs about 9-11 when he joined the Packers and that he was told by uh, Rodgers that he should really read up on 9-11 conspiracy theories. So Aaron Rodgers continues to be a fascinating figure. Clearly, little regard for what anybody thinks about him. <laughs> and you know it, it was endearing when he it's funny how these things work when you're winning everybody loves it and when the ball starts bouncing the wrong way or the other way there is uh it starts to rub people the wrong way and it might become an excuse to Doug, to, uh, along those lines with the way that season has gone i can't get that image of him showing up to training camp uh dresses nicholas cage <laughs> He, yeah, he's he might be the the world's most interesting man right now. Um, and, but, but you know, it, go ahead. No, I mean, but you're but you're right. When you're thirteen and three or thirteen and four, it's incredibly interesting. When you're, you know, three and seven or four and seven, it's kind of it gets it's a little like, rough. It's like Tom Brady throwing the iPads or the tablets on the sideline. You know, if Justin Fields is doing that and the Bears are two and ten. Um, there's ESPN segments about his character, about whether or not he's a leader. And when it's Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are four and zero or whatever point in the season that was happening, three and one. And it's look at the passion of this guy. This is a competitor. This is a alpha competitor. This is the kind of guy who becomes a champion. This is what you want on your team. And so it's amazing how, uh, how we interpret these things through the lens of winning and losing. And I, I, of course, kind of touched on that early in the episode with the reference of Hugh Freeze being hired at Auburn um, a few years removed from hiring prostitutes for recruits or something along those lines at Ole Miss. Uh, but there's nothing that winning can't do for you in football um, in, in, in this country, it seems. Yeah, I, I had forgotten the, the details of that one, but it's... <laughs> You know, I mean, look, and in some ways it's the fun. Like, I don't want to make too much light of it. But 
you know, that kind of chaos in SEC football, SEC football will always have a very distinctive kind of chaos. Yeah. It is almost part of the, that is almost part of the brand, like the wild West kind of, kind of aspects to this because I mean, it's like some of the coaches down here, like Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, right? It's, it's in some ways it all works, even though it probably shouldn't in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. So this week, you know, I told you I'm, I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for just a clean Saturday, no injuries, just keep the status quo with college football. sounds like you're looking for a little more chaos. I, I, like I said, I can understand that. I think we can both get behind Georgia uh, avenging Illinois' loss to um or supposed loss to michigan earlier this season uh should took, that you don't need to come. Uh, you can you can be the rational guy on that one <laughs> okay so given our little bit of uh dead battery issues on one of the cameras we'll wrap this one up a little early today so as always more content at uh, fandomanalytics.com and next week i believe next week we're going to unveil our nba brand equity fandom ranking so that that should be a fun one as well uh with that uh you know thanks for listening and we'll talk again next week